the ideas, the leaders, the lives that are shaping Denmark and the world. From Blocks Hub in Copenhagen, Denmark, with your co-hosts, Ed Lay and Thomas Mulhern, this is Global Denmark. Hello and welcome back to the Global Denmark podcast, where we explore how thought leaders and innovators are working to create a better Denmark and a better world. Well, we had a great conversation recently with Tina Mine, who's a senior vice president at Velux Corporation. Tina has an extensive career working within innovation, R&D, and transformation management, with time spent at Nilfisk and 20 years at Electrolux in Stockholm. In this wide-ranging conversation, we discuss Velux, their global presence, what's new in their innovation pipeline, and how Tina works with large transformations and turnarounds, talking about buy-in within the organization and getting out of that complacency mindset. In addition, we focus on the Urban Tech Project and how Velux has partnered together to look at how we bring the best startups around the world to Denmark for a scale-up accelerator and really tapping into that innovation. In addition, we talked about gender diversity in terms of tips for being a top leader and a woman here in Denmark, where she is the first woman in Velux's history to serve in top leadership. Finally, we also speak about the difference between living and working in Stockholm and Copenhagen and what's the competitive advantage for Denmark if they're trying to attract global talent. Lots of good stuff. So without further ado, we bring you Tina Mine. We are back. I am here again alone without my co-host Ed Lee, who is tied up again. But luckily, I have incredible amounts of freedom to take part in these podcasts. And we are here with today's special guest, Miss Tina Mine. Did I pronounce that okay, Tina? Yes, that's correct. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. How are you? I'm very good. All right. Well, we really appreciate you coming by. And we want to hear all about your new company since 2018, Velux. Yeah. Tell us about Velux. Yeah, Velux is a relatively old Danish family-owned company. Actually, a global company that is today present all around the world in more than 40 countries. A company that was founded by a real entrepreneur, a guy who started with small inventions and actually created a lot of fantastic innovations, and one of them being the Velux window, bringing daylight and fresh air into the roof. And that has then, of course, become a a global success uh, over the last 70 years. It's a company today that has a, a strong, strong brand, where in some countries even a Velux is the same thing as a, a slope roof window. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. like you said in the past, you would say a Hoover, that would be a vacuum cleaner. Indeed. You also say a Velux, and it means a, a roof window. You know, it's funny you say that because I, I moved to Denmark back in 2011, mm. and the way that people referred to windows was synonymous with, that's a Velux. And I yeah. said, what the hell's a Velux? And then <laughs> I quickly learned that, oh, it's just like Google it. Yeah. Or a Hoover, right? Exactly, exactly. That, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty good place to be. Yeah, it's a pretty good place to be, and that also represents the strong brand that we have in that market. From the founder perspective, a very unique product because it was created from a, from a need after the war where you, was, you started using the attics of, of buildings when there was not enough space. Right. And by adding the, the roof window, of course, you, you gave the opportunity to use space that would never have been used in the past. Okay, so it was a pragmatic need after World War II. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Now, yeah. so it was started about seven years ago. Was it a 
Danish? It was the Danish Danish founder from Jylland, Willem Kahn Rasmussen, who founded Velux. And today it's still a family-owned company, and it's the third generation who is heading up VKAO, and of course Velux. So a very interesting history, I would say, from a family Indeed. old company perspective. So obviously the Velux, the window, is the is the brand that everyone associates with the company. Yeah. What's new in the innovation pipeline today? Where are we at in 2020? Mm. So I think in, in 2020, if we look at our offering, it's still a window in the roof. And as a normal person, many people won't notice, but a window in the roof today is not just a hole with a glass. Actually, by activating the window today, you can create a lot better indoor climate. So what's in innovation pipeline is, of course, how do we make sure that the indoor climate, which many people actually forget or disregard, becomes an agenda point? Because we're all very, very concerned about outdoor air pollution. Indeed. But we spend 90% of our time indoor. Yeah. So now we're here in this fantastic building in Copenhagen, and we will spend the rest of the day, and 90% of today, in a building. Yes. And do we think enough about how do we ensure that we have a, a good indoor climate? No, not so much. We're very concerned about the outdoor. And what actually daylight does to us as persons, plus fresh air or good air yes. with no CO2, etc., right. actually does a lot to our uh, health. And that's what we're, of course, in our pipeline and innovation pipeline is working with bringing to life. Because we still bring daylight through the roof, right. through our windows, which is our really core value proposition. Mm-hmm. And we also bring fresh air through the window. Yeah. But how do we make it even stronger so we help people in buildings make that happen? Right. So that's, that's really the focus if you look from an innovation perspective. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing to see that we go from talking about climate change to indoor climate optimization mm, mm. and the impacts on human health and well-being. Yeah. 90% yeah. of the time, I mean... Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, and and of course, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have had the technologies to enable that we could actually go in with sensor-based technology right. and control your indoor climate. But that's possible today with affordable solutions. That means that we can now help people say, okay, you need to open your window now. Yeah. Or we can open the window for the customer for the individual, meaning that you will help create a better indoor environment. And it's proven that because we spend this much time indoor, we're not doing as many outdoor activities. We get eczema, uh, asthma, uh, depressions, as it has effects on our our health that we could actually help quite easily. But there are sensors, new technologies, IoT, smart home connected with with the window actually is what we're looking at. How can we help our customers utilize what we actually do is the the daylight. That that for sure is is very important and the fresh air into the roof. So is the goal to be able to mimic indoors what it's like to be outdoors? Is that the optimal human condition? Um, depends because <laughs> then we're into another question, okay. of course, That's which is hole. no, it isn't, and, and because it's it's the pollution discussion, right. yeah. But of course, it is to mimic the outdoor. So if you believe you have fresh air outside, of course you bring fresh air in. Right. So it is so to it is mimic. Dependent upon your outdoor yeah. climate. Yeah, but of course it is to mimic the outdoor and get fresh air in and create that balance. But it's clear in some cities, big cities, uh, not maybe in Europe, that would be questionable. Yeah. Okay. 
So obviously that's that's a huge issue, health and mm. well-being, mm. um, a transformation from just the original product, but still connected to the core. Yeah, it's very connected to the core. Tell us a little bit about leading large transformations in general and turnarounds. Mm. I know that's been a part of your career. Yeah, yeah. So I've worked many years abroad, both in Sweden and in France, working with transformations, uh, actually. And I think like the transformation that a, a company like Velux is going through now is it's really understanding the value proposition that we've had for many, many years with the disruption of new technologies. Mm. What are they actually adding to these benefits. And that's what's so important when you go through transformations. Don't make transformations unless it brings you to a better place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't make transformations for the sake of the transformation. Right. So making this link with what's the new technology available versus what's your actually your core benefit. That's the key here. And understanding the trends in the market. What are the mega trends affecting all of us? Uh, like urbanization is one. Right. And then trickling that down to what technologies are then available now and tomorrow that will actually enable us to improve our value proposition. And for our case, sensors, now I'm just using that as, a, as yeah. an example, is a very good technology that it's becoming accessible that will enable and improve our value proposition. Um, you know, with transformation, I'm thinking it's, like you just mentioned, it's about understanding the cutting edge things that are out there in the market. Yeah. But there's also the human psychological element of getting human beings to actually transform their way of being and acting. Mm. How do you uh, focus on the human side of it, the complacency effect of this is safe, mm. let's not go into the new frontier? Yeah, yeah. I think complacency is in all companies to some smaller or higher extent. And of course, if you have a burning platform, so when you work with transformation, you can either be on a burning platform like Nokia was, yeah? They were on a truly burning platform. And then your approach to people, of course, you use that as a, an outset because communication is key when you create transformation and making a very clear communication why you make change, why you make transformation, that's one part. But then the other part is the organization and, and the people who are part of a transformation, that they're part of writing the story mm. on how do we move forward. The buy-in. The buy-in. But but levels. but and I and I this part about if you're writing a story yourself, you believe in it. Yes. If you only get it told, you will never but you can actually get people to write the story depending on where you want to go. So if you're on a burning platform, of course you use that as the outset. But you can also be I would say we're probably Velux, we're not on a burning platform. I cannot use that as a driving force mm -hmm. for making change, but I can use the driving force of an aspiration for change, which is about getting to an even better place than we are today. Okay, because so, that was what I was going to say. Yeah. What is the why that works? Exactly. And that will very much depend on where you start. So the why you need to find out, are we on a burning platform or do we create a desire Okay. where we find a new place to be and communicate around that. And, and there, of course, that's the key then in the communication and how you get the organization to work with you okay. on the transformation. Okay, so yeah. create that desire that this is somewhere the company wants to be, but you should want to get there too Yeah. because of X, Y, and Z. Exactly. And then let's sit down together and create a common narrative. Yeah, exactly. And I think everybody likes to have a dream and hope of a better place, everybody can relate to that. And if they're part of writing that story and creating that transformation, you can move 
quite a lot. Indeed. An organization. And the burning platform sometimes seems easier. If we don't do this, we're going to be in trouble. But that's not where many companies are today. They need to make a transformation because the world is changing so fast. Mm-hmm not because we're in a bad place. There you need to make a desire for change, which is bound up around being in, a, in an even better place than we are today. And that's about creating hope for an organization, yeah. creating a team spirit where everybody is across an organization working towards that goal. Yes. And of course, communication is, is key for that and involvement. And that's the involvement is about writing your own story. And yeah. I know it sounds very simple. It's very hard to do. Yeah, when you have thousands. <laughs> if you have thousands of people, yeah. Um, so, of course, it's a question of trickling it down. And, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We know that uh, nowadays a lot of companies are really integrating the sustainable development goals yeah. into core business activity. Yeah. Is that something you're seeing as a desired place to go for Absolutely. both Velux and... Yes. I think Velux and our founder, he was, you know, many people listening to this might think, yeah, yeah, everybody says that. But actually, in Velux, our founder way back created a model company document for the entire company back in the 50s that we're still living with where both social innovation that we give back to society mm-hmm. that's the whole fundament of Velux and, and VKR so we give back to society and that we also work sustainable so it's part of our DNA already okay. but nevertheless I don't think we're very good at communicating that so f- for sure we are now also working with the SDGs, making sure that we address them correctly and that we we get a 2030 plan in place. But it's a very, very integrated part of of how Velux was founded, actually. You get that benefit along with the placement of being in Denmark as the headquarters, where they also have a 2030 plan in place. Absolutely. Sometimes it's not lucky to be ahead of time because then you, you become complacent. But we haven't been complacent on this because it has been our founder's DNA to really look at, at social innovation, giving back to society, at the same time creating a product which is about creating well-being for our customers and continuously looking at our footprint from a sustainability perspective. Fantastic. We also need to lift ourselves constantly. So, of course, when we look at, at what's happening now with the building industry, we need to also contribute to that. Indeed. I want to kind of target in on a specific initiative that Velux is engaged with, and that's the Urban Tech Project. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you could say a little bit about that and yeah. what you guys are doing within it. Yeah. And why. Yeah, and that's, of course, a very interesting, uh, very interesting program for us, and it has probably has three purposes. One is Velux is doing it together with VKR, which is our mother company. Okay, that's the holding. Yeah, that's the holding. So VKR is the, the main program owner, and we're doing it, of course, in order to see what's happening in the building industry, but with the eyes of creating a sustainable, livable city for the long term. So around cities, how do we find new technologies, new ways of improving the lives in the cities? That's the overall goal. The optimal city of the future. Yes. Exactly. But and and then of course the startup part becomes the interesting part because many incumbent players like Velux. We're big, many people, we have a lot of processes and people and things take time. Right. But startups, they're fast, they don't have all those processes and structures they need to follow, so they can actually develop new things a lot faster. So how do we, for us, combine these two worlds? Yes. It's, of course, what what we in Velux see as a a benefit from this, at the same time as we can also access 
the new technologies that is important for us when we then talk about how do we find technologies that would enable the daylight and fresh air through the roof using sensors or using new materials because we have a, a negative impact on, on, on uh, the global CO2 footprint so that we find them and integrate them in a faster way. So there's several levels to it, but also several purposes for us. And how do you source this type of startup that can be agile and contribute directly to what you need in such a niche way? Do you scour the globe, or is that part of the project? Yeah, so part of the program, uh, which is then called Urban Tech, is, is with rainmaking. And rainmaking, of course, have a very strong process, I think, around scouting the world. Yeah, co-working spaces yes, everywhere. exactly. Right? And really scouting the world within the specific themes that we have picked. So we have, together with the other partners, because we're not the only partners in, in uh, Urban Tech, we're five partners, we have picked areas that are, of course, of interest to us. And within those in areas of interest, Rainmaking are able to scout really interesting uh, okay. companies. So we start with a huge um, funnel, yeah. and that funnel we then narrow and narrow down until the end, where we then have a selection day where all the partners review, uh, I think it's about 30 to 40 small startups. Yep. And there then 10 of them are picked into the program and go into an accelerator program where we work, each partner work with one of these startups in our companies. And hopefully we will bring these startups with us going forward. Okay. So, and mm. do you see any, it just started last year, correct? Yes, yes. What is some of the feedback you're getting in terms of these startups that are maybe international coming to, to Denmark and mm. getting acclimated in the market? I think that they're, of course, very happy to come into the program because it means that they learn also how is it to come into a, a corporate structure. Right. Yeah. They really appreciate that. And then they appreciate, of course, that for us, from the beginning, we, we don't have maybe uh, decided do we want to invest in this little startup or we're going to use them, but that they get access to us. They learn a lot from how can they market their products. Mm. So is it all commercial viable, mm-hmm. what they have? Because that's, of course, most startups' problem is they're never able to commercialize it unless they can hook into an existing sales channels. Right. For that reason, they're very positive. We've only had very positive feedback. So they get that strategic spying. They do, they do. And high-level networking, high which otherwise wouldn't net- be possible. Totally impossible. High-level networking, and they get exposure. So they get exposure to other companies and across the partnerships, of course. So they learn a lot. Then, of course, there's those who expect a lot more. So it's also about expectation management. Some yeah. of the startups will think, okay, I've been selected for this, so yeah. now everything, I, I don't need to worry anymore. Yeah. And that's, of course, not the case. And some of them, of course, also get a little bit disappointed then because, of course, there needs to be a commercial element into it. Otherwise, uh, it makes no sense. Hmm. Well, it's a very exciting project. It's a very exciting project, and I think it's very exciting that it's here in Copenhagen, considering our position also globally. If we look at when we had C40 and all the Mm -hmm. very positive feedback Copenhagen gets as a city, that we have this urban tech in Copenhagen. I think it's really exciting because it brings and it should attract small startups that are really serious about developing cities. So in Uh, theory, Copenhagen could be a flagship city for the future. Yeah. And I think in some cases it is. If you listen to some of the feedback that came at the C40 that took place Mm -hmm. in Copenhagen in October, for sure some of the the very prominent people there, they do see Copenhagen as a flagship on some specific areas, clearly. Fantastic. I Mm -hmm. want to pivot a little bit. Yeah. You are in the top leadership group of Velox. Yeah. How many women are in the top leadership, Tina? 
this one. This one? <laughs> this one. Am I speaking to him? <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's me. And I was also the first one ever uh, in that. Ever? Uh, yeah. In, in Velux, at least. Uh, yes. So. Congratulations. That's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. Um, for women that are aspiring leaders out mm, there, mm. Uh, whether they're in middle management today or doing their MBA or just at university, mm. what would your advice be to um, to try to break through or maybe your own story? I think for women, for many women, they are um, at least, uh, I, I don't have that saying in English. We have a saying in Danish where women, uh, young women, they really want to be always perfect and the best at everything. Mm. And that's just not necessary. So I think my um, advice to many is to to be more daring, to yes. take more chances, to uh, go out there and don't worry about whether it's 120% waterproof and perfect right. what you're doing because 100% or 80% in some cases is good enough. So having that more risk-taking element into it. We're running this together with C40, this uh, Women for Tech or Women for Climate, where it's a program where women can apply small startups. And here, there are no female startups. I mean, it's minimal. It's all men. And for me, it's because they dare. They take risk. Yes. They're not so worried about failing because they will learn from their failure and We're they will correct. <laughs> you make a lot of failures. <laughs> but, but I think for me, that's the key. That's the key. Take more risk. Be more daring. Don't be afraid. That's my number one uh, feedback to young women. Don't be afraid of jumping into the deep water. Right. We yeah. have that kind of paralysis by analysis sometimes yeah. where yeah. if it's not 100% ready to go to market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And then also uh, let go of some of the, the historical chores that we have had. Because, of course, we also want to be be mothers and wives and housewives and all sure. these things. At least the women I talk to also, uh, I just spoke to the one who just became uh, the women leader of boards in Denmark. Oh, wow. And she said, and she said, it's because we, we, we still have all these chores that we are carrying along. We still need to take a year, or in some countries like Sweden, one and a half to two years of maternity leave. And right. it's not the maternity leave as such, but it's the things that comes with it. So it's not that you're out of work for a year. Everybody no, can be up, that. Pick up, drop off, yeah. the, all yeah. those. Yeah, and the logistic, you're the logistics manager at home, right. and you're the... Lo- and, and those parts, of course, is where we also need to let go. And that, for me, goes together with the first one. It's okay that everything is not 100% perfect as long as it's delivering what it's supposed to do. So that, I think, would be my, my advice. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, <laughs> one last question, and then we'll take a quick break. Yeah. You've spent 20 years at Electrolux yeah. in Stockholm. Yeah. We talk about how do we attract and ideally retain global talent here. Mm. And talking to Klaus Lundborg, the CEO of Copenhagen Capacity, says one of the big competitors is Stockholm. Yeah. So maybe you could give your insight into um, if there's a potential global talent out there, why should they choose Copenhagen and not Stockholm? Or maybe you have a different opinion. No. Of course they should choose Copenhagen. <laughs> it's a lot better than Stockholm we, at we, any time. We, I mean, We paid her to <laughs> You did not. I think Stockholm is a city that has changed a lot over the last 20 years or 25 years. So I understand that Stockholm is becoming a competition to Copenhagen because what Stockholm has actually succeeded with is to attract a lot of different nationalities. So there is a, this really an international community in Stockholm. 
So that has been a huge transition. But where Copenhagen, of at course, all levels, or I mean, are we talking C-suite no, or no, no, engineers? No, no engineers. Yeah. yeah. So below C-suite, so middle management, yeah. um, and students, and and yeah. so forth. So that that uh, Stockholm has oh, been yeah. extremely good at yeah, uh, getting students to stay. That's a yeah, good one. Yeah, to make them stay and create communities truly global. I think that's. The only part where Copenhagen is lacking a little bit behind in attracting people from really truly around the world to the same extent. But then I think we have so many other things in Copenhagen where we have more to offer than Stockholm. Not that it's a competition, but of course, Swedes and Danes always like to compete a little bit. Yes, (laughs) Um, I've lived up there and it is just darker. So and, and light is good for you. And. Copenhagen is just a lot more lighter. We are so much closer to the continent, to right. main Europe. I think that's a huge advantage for being in Copenhagen. And then we have a different culture in Denmark where we're a little bit more loose than uh, Sweden and Stockholm. A little if bit more agile. A little bit more, a lot more agile and adapting to change faster. Yeah, it's a very highly consensus-based, I mean... Very As an American, based. I thought Denmark was very consensus-based, but then I talk, oh, you should go to Norway or Sweden. Uh, Sweden is the worst, I would, I would, <laughs> I would uh, claim. But that's, of course, also changing. There is a globalization also happening in, in Sweden, but still it is very deeply ingrained in their culture that they seek consensus. We hear almost every podcast about how trust is crucial to understanding the Danish society and how business works and yeah. everything runs. Is it similar up in Stockholm? Is that a Nordic phenomenon or is this a, a Danish? No, I would say uh, that's a Nordic phenomenon. Okay. But it is also in Sweden, when I think about it, it is based on trust and yeah. it is based on openness. Yes. I mean, you cannot operate if you're not open and, and share and, and trustworthy. Okay, perfect. Well, mm-hmm. I think that is a perfect time to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsors, and then we'll come back for the quick fire round. Studying for an executive MBA at Henley Business School in Denmark is an intense and rewarding experience. If you want to achieve the best possible outcomes in business and in life, Henley can give you the skills and knowledge you need through the Henley MBA. For more information, visit Henley. DK. We are back. I am here with today's special guest, Miss Tina Mine. Tina, are you ready to dive into the quickfire round? Yes. Let's do it. Tina, have you ever undergone any one event or experience that you can now attribute to a major leap forward and the leader you've become? Um, yeah, I think, I think uh, there's, of course, many steps in your career. I think, for me, at least, been the various leaders I've had that has made differences to me at least and moving from having at one point in time a French leader to an American leader an American leader who had a completely different view on management and being a lot more coach and that's not to put the Americans in a box but they're very good at celebrating and crediting good work which I hadn't been used to for many many years from a French person because that was just you know normal so having a leader that actually was very different or changing for me. So suddenly having somebody who continuously highlighted positive things was changing for me and also made for me a leap in my leadership style for myself. So having and leading people and understanding the importance of motivating and continuously identifying both what needs to be improved, but certainly also what was achieved was changing for me. It's really interesting you say that as an American mm. uh, and uh, having worked in leadership in Denmark. That was recognition or anerkennelse. Yeah, recognition. Is that, the, yeah. that was the area where I really perform really high when we'd be evaluated by the teams. Mm. 
Um, and I think it, there's just something ingrained in the culture about focusing on recognition and mm. accomplishment. Yeah. That's so natural to yeah. Americans especially. Exactly. I think if you weren't worked in Europe and uh, you maybe had a French leader or a Danish leader very much focusing on delivery and on time and not the, the, the recognition part and the acknowledgement to the same extent as the American can, then you, of course you can always grade it depending on what you do. That was changing for me. And I think that's a very positive leadership style in the American leadership style, which I think a lot of leaders can take on, but I also think is happening a lot in Denmark and Europe at the moment. Okay, you're seeing more and more yeah. European leaders adapt that element at least. Yeah, but not to the extent still. For me, that was a huge change yeah. for me yeah. personally now. Yeah, you, yeah. you have to be in it to, <laughs> yeah. for it to feel authentic. Yeah. What's your biggest motivator and demotivator? Hmm. So my biggest motivator is back to the transformation. If I can transform a team from being mediocre, medium performance to being a high performing team, that really totally motivates me. And moving an organization from one place to another where we're actually having a better output, a better performance, that is a a big, big motivator for me. So this transformational and change part, that's really motivating for me. And seeing that people are actually motivated by that and getting happy by delivering. Um, <laughs> something which is that exciting helps. that helps what is really demotivating for me is if you're in a culture where you're always looking for what's not done so the little the, the small elements so the glass is half full kind of that environment that really demotivates me um, because everybody I think uh, and, and that's where the trust comes I, I believe everybody is trying their utmost having this kind of culture is, is not beneficial anyway that demotivates me but um yeah. yeah, you can always look at it and have a positive reframe on yeah. the same situation yeah. to try to move people in the Exactly, in the right idea. direction, yeah. Here's a little pivot. Yeah. What is something weird about you Ooh. that maybe uh, <laughs> only a few people know? Um, I really like football. Um, so not many, I uh, think, know. Or, and since I have two boys who likes football... I've become part of that. You're a hooligan. I'm, a, I'm not a hooligan, <laughs> but I am emotional at a football pitch. Do you have a team? Of course, I live in Odense, so of course I'm a big OB fan. Okay. Odense ball club fan. So. Um, yeah. How are they doing? They're doing okay-ish. Uh, so they're not in the top six here yeah. before the season start, but I, I surely hope they will be by the end of the season. But before we go to the summer break, they'll be in the top six. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Tina, if you were invited to a dinner party and you could invite two people from history, alive or dead now, who would it be and why? I would now, and that's of course because you've inspired me, by. I wouldn't have thought about him otherwise, but my American leader from Electrolux, I would invite him to reflect on some of the things that he taught me. Mm. Yeah, and because he was a, a good time, yeah. Um, is he still alive? He's still alive, he's yes. Still alive. Yeah, he's still alive and he was the CEO of Electrolux a few years back. I wouldn't have thought about him if it wasn't because we were reflecting on, on these uh, elements, so I would definitely uh, invite him. And then, of course, if it's a dinner party, I would invite my husband as well. So I would oh. invite those two guys. Oh, wonderful. Oh. <laughs> I think, I think the two actually actively want their spouse next to them. So that, but if, it's, uh, if it was more uh, work-related, then, uh, of course, uh, there is a few inspiring people that I have either heard, listened to or and I think one of the, the big inspiring speakers I was so lucky to listen to uh, two years back was uh, Michael Porter because he's not only, I mean, he's very known for, for parts of what he did, 
but he he really talks i think very very thoughtful around sustainability and how we can address that and how we can solve that as uh, as a globe and i would definitely then invite michael porter to sit on the other side yes. if it was business related okay, now you're adding people so i'm got a little yeah. table for myself not just uh, yeah lovely <laughs> what was the best piece of business or life advice you ever received hmm. So the best piece of business was from a Danish guy I work with also in Electrolux because when I was younger, not to the same extent now, I had a little bit of temper and uh, his best advice was to me, do never answer a mail or response if you're a little bit upset until 24 hours has passed. Mm. And I've actually followed that advice and that helps you because if you can give yourself 24 hours to reflect on a challenge or something which you think should be done differently, you have time to actually give the right answer. I completely agree with that. I, it's funny because when I was a young leader, I got similar advice. Never answer a mail if you can call them and solve it. And if you can call them and solve it, that's great. But if you can meet them face-to-face, even better. Mm-hmm. If it's really someone that you need to solve an issue with. It, because the closer you get to that human contact, the more you're able to solve the problem. Mm. And I really followed that mm. advice. Mm. And it, I could see a huge difference. Mm. And the animosity kind of dissipating too when you had the face-to-face look. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. also getting out of that fight-flight amygdala response where you want to kill someone, <laughs> that helps. Yeah, not maybe not even that, but in writing in short time, you can create so many misunderstandings ah. that are not even That's meant it. to be. That's right. Yeah, and avoiding that. Did you have a teacher or mentor when you were younger that had an influence on you? In school or in university um, no, I had my first leader in Electrolux. He was also the one, Eric Muller, he's also an active leader in Denmark now. He also was somehow my mentor all through my career. Mm-hmm. Somehow, if there was some questions I had, I would always call. It would always be him I would come back to. Oh, yeah, so yes, I've had that. Not from my school uh, so much. Then I've, of course, later on in life had other people that has been very important in decisions I've made that are then adding to kind of the coaching or the story yes. that, that uh, when you are uncertain about things that you know you can call. Yes. But I've had one who's kind of followed me all the way and then there's been people who've been added as I've gone along. Very much people that I've worked close with. Yeah, they know you and your style. Yeah, yeah. What book or books have you been most influenced by? Oh, I think there's, of course, both the literature. how do you say that? In, so just relaxing literature that you can do on a holiday. Yeah. And here uh, there's, of course, a lot of literature in terms of, but something where there is, I like crimis when I'm... Uh, Crime, crime stories, yeah, and the mm. Danish Uziala, I really enjoyed. When it comes to more work-related books, the latest one I read, which I really liked, was by um, Jim Snape around strategy. Okay. And now I don't remember the title, but if you want me to say it, but, uh, we'll Jim Snape will find it, which is really around rethinking uh, your strategy, and it also addresses this element of complacency, mm-hmm. so that you don't get stuck in complacency when you actually start looking at uh, at your new strategy and you're actually able to rethink a company's strategy going forward. So I would recommend that if you're okay. putting it on the... Yeah, I'll on check the, it out myself. I'll, I'll put it. It's actually an interesting book because he has written that together with a sports guy from the, the sports world and, and these two worlds brought together in performance management and then yeah. strategy. It's actually an interesting, uh, okay. very interesting book. Right, we'll find that and put it up yeah, on our page. We'll get it. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a quite well-known book. Good. 
Mm-hmm. Tina, we have one final question to wrap up the podcast today, and we ask this to all of our guests, and that is, what do you think Denmark can teach the rest of the world, and what do you think Denmark can learn from mm-hmm. the rest of the world? Yeah. I do think that Denmark has a agile and quite entrepreneurial approach to solving challenges in the world or in in Denmark. So our way of continuously renewing ourselves, I think we can teach to the world. And of course we can do that because we're not so big. So it's it's easy enough for us. And I think if we just take Copenhagen, how well we have addressed some of the, the global challenges, that we can teach the rest of the world to do that and scale it up. Where I think we, we need to learn something from the world is we also become a little bit complacent. And we come a little bit complacent because we do think that we are the world champions in everything. Yeah. So let's take our, our handball team here a few weeks ago. They were the, the world champions they actually got beaten and didn't even go into the the next round and that's a little bit where we need to learn from the world that you need to continuously move ahead and look backwards and stay on your toes because you're in a good position now doesn't mean you're in a good position tomorrow i think i heard a quote from was it pete hein who said denmark is the most humble country in the world and in that respect we are the best yeah I think it's that, that prediction exactly. of Denmark. Yeah, and I and, and I think that is exactly where, where we can learn. We have lost sometimes the hunger that you see in other parts of the world, and therefore we become complacent. And that's what we need to learn, that uh, there is no time to rest on your laurels in that respect. Completely agree. Mm-hmm. Well, Tina Mine, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming by the studio. Thank you. Thank you. Before we go, could you please tell our audience where they could find you, follow... Vlogs, the projects you're involved with. Yeah, I mean, you can find me on on LinkedIn under Tina Mine, and you can of course also find me at Vlogs. We have just closed down for the Women for Climate for Tech within C40, but otherwise, please follow that. I think that's really really interesting. Where young female developers have given in their ideas to how sustainable cities should look like. But you can find me on LinkedIn uh, or at Vlogs. And uh, thanks for inviting me. A pleasure. To be continued, hopefully. Yes. And to our audience, don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please leave a rating or review. That really helps. And until next time, see you on the GDP. Are you getting the most out of your time in Denmark? Pick up the printed copy of the English language newspaper Copenhagen Post today to access relevant news and event information guaranteed to enhance your working and family life.